Today, uh, we're going to look at a sermon called Satisfaction Guaranteed. Uh, In 1875, there was a man named Montgomery Ward. Everybody remember that store? All right. Um, Not from 1875, you don't remember it, hopefully, but his company was, at the time, for those the kids who don't understand, it was the mail order version of what Amazon is today. You could literally buy anything at Montgomery Ward. Uh, but there were a lot of stores at that time that did the exact same thing. So to differentiate himself from his competitors, he came up with this promise, this now common phrase. This, this was his promise to his, to, his empl- to his customers. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. He originated that phrase. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. You see that on every package now of anything you buy. Uh, It is just sort of a common phrase, part of our vernacular in the United States now. Uh, Nearly, like I said, every company promises this. But as we look, what is true satisfaction? True satisfaction with a product, that's one thing. But satisfaction that comes in life, few people have found that. Few people have found what they would consider satisfaction for everything in life. And it it leads people in their search for satisfaction in life. I almost named it exactly what you're thinking. I can't get no satisfaction. You're right. Uh, They're putting out a new album, so I almost said that, but I didn't. Now I did. All right. It leads people, though, in their search for satisfaction to look to relationships, uh, to look to the opposite of that, going into isolation, thinking maybe I'll get it that way if I get away from everyone. The hope of satisfaction leads people to go on quests and pilgrimages to certain holy sites, thinking that that will will do that for them. People that finally give up on satisfaction, they turn to the bottle. They turn to pills. They turn to entertainment. uh, Or anything that will give them just a moment of release and relief and rest. And that might be you here today. You're looking for that relief in life, the satisfaction that you have not been able to find. And the crazy thing is that Christians, satisfaction is guaranteed for us in the Lord. And yet at times, we still turn away from the very one, Jesus Christ, who provides and is our satisfaction. Jesus is the one who, no matter what is happening around us in the world, He provides us with assurance. He provides us with satisfaction. And we find now David sharing how this works out in our life in Psalm chapter 16. If you turn to Psalm 16, the book of Psalms, as you're turning there, uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Psalms, it's the hymn book of Israel. But they're more than just hymns. They are, they're not just some songs that were written by normal people. They were normal people, but the Holy Spirit inspired them. And it is actually God's Word. It contains God's doctrine, but it is put in a poetic form. It is put to music. And everyone knows that music has a way of reaching our hearts and our soul in a way that just normal words don't do it. 
Uh, we just came back from the Gettys Sing Conference. They introduced new hymns that they've been writing, present us with new, some, some ideas and things of that nature. And as you would watch the people sing and you could see it just as it would go over the hearts of those in the, in the, that were there, not sort of congregation, but in the, in the conference there, and you would see how the Lord would touch them. Uh, have you ever watched a movie where it didn't have the soundtrack connected to it? Right, it, the most exciting thing. I mean, Darth Vader could be fighting Obi-Wan Kenobi and no music. That's not quite true. But uh, you've, you've got to have that music. Have you ever seen someone take a, a scene and change it to different music? And it changes the whole atmosphere of it because the music touches the heart. It touches the soul. It, it leads our emotions. And we find this in David. He is he's sharing this with us. And so let me set up this psalm a little bit so it makes a little more sense to us. What was behind? What was going on in David's life that set up him writing this psalm? Uh, this is, like I said, a psalm of David. David is, uh, in my opinion, the greatest king Israel ever had. Uh, God called him a man after my own heart. That's God saying that about David. He was a man after his own heart. And based on the language that we see David using here in this psalm, many believe that this is, uh, was written directly after 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 19 through 20. You don't have to turn there. If you don't want to, I'll give you a summary of what was going on there. Israel still has their first king, King Saul. King Saul was, uh, was given to them. They, they chose him, and God said, all right, here you go. He did not follow the Lord. So God, in that time frame, took a young man, the, the youngest son of a man named Jesse in the town of Bethlehem, just some 25 miles outside of Jerusalem, and he anoints him to be king. Now, he's not king yet. He anoints him to be the next king after King Saul dies. That's the important part here. So David, after the whole David and Goliath situation, goes up and he's working in the, t in the, in the castle or wherever the king was at there at that time. I assume some sort of castle. And <clears throat> the king realized that God's hand was on David and it had been removed from him. The sin that he had had, it, the spirit of God left him. So David is then on the run from, from King Saul. In fact, Saul tries to kill him for over a decade of his life. He is running. And he's running in some of the most inhospitable areas of Israel. He's down in that southern part below Judah. And he is in the desert areas. And he is, he is sleeping in caves. He is living off the land and whatever kindness that he receives from other people. And we get to 1 Samuel chapter 26. And David sees that King Saul and his company are down sleeping in an area and he sneaks down into that valley while they're all sleeping and he gets right next to King Saul could have easily killed him this is the second time he could have killed King Saul but he knew he was God's anointed man and he did not lift his hand against him and in an effort to show who he was and what his reason for not doing this he takes King Saul's spear and his cruise of water he hightails it out of there to the other side of the next mountain to where he's 
safe distance away. And he lifts up his voice to the king and he raises his spear and he raises that cruise of oil to him and he speaks to them and he yells out, showing him his intentions. I have no intention of killing you, King Saul. You are God's anointed man. And he would, uh, he said, if you, you would have basically already been dead if I, if I had the intention of killing you. So he continues, and this is the life that he's leading. And we get then to Psalm chapter 16. Let's read Psalm chapter 16. It's only 11 verses. Mishdom of David. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons." I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore." Dear gracious Heavenly Father, please open your word to, uh, to our hearts today. Uh, if there are any that don't know Christ today, that you would speak to them and show them their need for salvation. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here today satisfaction. Satisfaction by trusting in God. These first four verses, we see satisfaction in trusting in God. And all of David's running over a decade. Now imagine, you... Maybe you were chased for, you had an uncomfortable situation. You were fleeing or you were hiding from someone for a brief period of time. Decade. A decade of that in your life. And he has a firm grasp through that time on the realization that his life was in the Lord's hand. This psalm is one of six psalms that have that description, Mishdom of David. They are considered golden words of wisdom or meditation. That that Mishnah of David is uh, meditation, engraved words for us to remember. These are words that the Lord preserved in His Word, and He wants us to see them, and He wants us to think on them as well. And we see that David has satisfaction in God by trusting God's protection. Do we trust God's protection? Verses 1 and 2 we see here, David isn't just talking a good game. This is the core of who he is. How do I know that? Look at verses 1 and 2. He calls the Lord three different names here. Look how he speaks to the Lord. He calls him God, Lord, and my Lord. Now, if we casually read through that, and I typically, you know, as I'm reading quickly through that, this doesn't mean that this isn't like me calling Bill, uh, William, Bill, and Billy or something like that. That's not just different names for him. Each of these names means something. These are three distinct names for God, and they have meaning behind them. 
David is trusting God for his protection. And first he calls him God, which is the Hebrew El, or Elo, short for Elohim. You can go to that, thank you. Elohim, that is, he is announcing him as God the creator. That's the term used for God the creator. The one that is omnipotent, the one that is all-powerful in life. Then he calls him Lord. Have you ever noticed that in your Old Testament where Lord is capitalized? All four letters are capitalized, not just L, lowercase, the rest of it. There's a difference there. That is the name that, that God revealed himself to, uh, to, to Moses when he was there on Mount Sinai. He, uh, went during, around the, the, fiery, the fiery bush, he calls himself Lord. Jehovah is the name here. This is the name God reveals to him. This is the God of covenant. He wants to have a relationship with the people of Israel. He wants to have a relationship with us today. And God is showing his desire to enter into this saving covenant with you and with me. And David realizes that and he calls him God. He calls him Lord. And then he also says, you're my Lord. Adonai is the, the name there. This is by saying my king, my, my sovereign Lord. Showing the place in his heart. So when David is speaking to him, he's acknowledging God as his maker, his mediator, and his master. Do we think that way? Are we fully satisfied with God that he will protect us? David was. He is my protector. And he was satisfied in that thought as he roamed through the wilderness those many, many years. But he's also satisfied with God's people. He is trusting God's people in verse 3. Now, I don't mean that he's trusting the Christians more than he is trusting God. Rather, as the verse reads, we see there through our trust in God, we can have a delight in the saints of God. Delight in the saints of God. Saints, the called apart. Those that, are, those that are separated by the Lord at salvation. 1 John 3.14, the first part of that verse says, We know that we have passed... From death to life, when? Because we love the brethren. It is the natural outflowing of a Christian that we will love the brethren. We need to come to a point that we trust that God, what he has for us is what we need. And we need each other. What God has for us is what we need. You need the family of God. We need the body of Christ Similar names, different attributes of what we do. We need to assemble. But we need to more than just assemble on Sundays for church services. We need to care for each other. We need to strengthen each other. As Brother Meyer came up here and spoke, when Tom called me on Tuesday to, to let me know that his cancer was gone, obviously I was very happy for him. But when he started sharing about how the church family had been there for him, I was overjoyed. I was thrilled because that's what we should be doing. We should be trusting in God's people. It's a sign that we are, we are a Christian when we have this love for each other. So I ask you, are God's people your delight? Or are you just coming here because ah, it's my duty, I've got to do it? God's people should be our delight. Now, yes, we're, at times we're going to let each other down. There are, it is difficult to remember every need. That's why we make lists. That's why each class has a prayer list for that very reason. 
I can't remember everything. I know you can't. And every year I get older, you know, right? I remember even less and less, and so do you. Especially if people have been out of sight for a long period of time, that's difficult. But we need to try. We need to be committed to that. Because the world, it's headed in a completely different direction. And we need to be there for each other. And we need to be diligent to lift each other up so that our trust in God's people is strong. So we see a trust in in God's protection and we see his people. And then in verse 4, we see trusting in God's principles. He was trusting in God's word. Now, this verse sort of shows that the opposite. He tells him what he's not going to do. I'm not going to follow after these pagan, pagan gods, these pagan religions. David had been wandering around in the wilderness. Most likely he had been down, uh, we know he had been down with the Philistines. He saw the Philistine gods. He, he saw the Moabite gods, these pagan gods that people were worshiping to. They even sacrificed their children. It was just horrible, ungodly situations. He saw that. He says, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to follow his word. And he was trusting God. And when we trust God, it naturally means in line with that, that we are going to trust in his instruction that he has given us. Because this is the main way that he speaks to us is through his word. He's given this. Now, the Bible isn't just a list of do's and don'ts as as many people that maybe don't understand the word of God think. It's not a list of just do's and don'ts. It's a book that reveals God. It reveals God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He reveals Himself to us in His Word. And the the book that God has preserved for us shows us the way of escape from our sin. He shows us the way of escape and how He wants us to, to restore relationship with each and every one of us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin. The Bible, this is the main reason that the Word of God has been given to us. And the Holy Book, the Holy Bible given to us to give us eternal principles then on how as a Christian we are to live our life. So the question comes, Will we, we had our men's prayer breakfast yesterday and he brought this up and, uh, as I was thinking about this more. Will, will I trust my thoughts? Will I trust my reasoning, my emotions over What God has clearly told me in the Word of God? Now, many times, yes, we do. Our emotions get the best of us, and we follow after those. But the Lord has told us, and He's given us clear direction in areas, we need to follow the Lord. I will trust in the Lord, and I will trust in His precepts. I will trust in His principles. And with that, I can have satisfaction in my life. When I go steering off on my own, I am looking for danger in my life. And we need to be very careful that we don't do that. Will I trust the wisdom of man that changes literally every generation, if not at this point, every year? Or will I trust God's word? And David trusted in God's principles. Are you satisfied trusting in God? Or are you looking for someone else or something else or some other teaching? I've watched a lot of folks in my life that have said they are trusting in the Lord. But then once maybe a certain person passes in their family, in their life, or a person is taken away from them in their life, we find out that their true trust wasn't in the Lord, but it was in that person. 
We cannot live off our family's faith. Teens, you cannot live off mom and dad's faith. As a college student, we can't live off mom and dad's faith. Husband, wife, you cannot live off your spouse's faith. It has to be a relationship with the Lord yourself. I've watched people with job losses and medical situations come and a person that trusts, we see it shifts, and they decide to follow after the world and their life is just set adrift. It's just chaos in their life. But then I've seen others that have followed the Lord. They've trusted the Lord in those times. And we've seen how the Lord has protected them and provided for them. And how they grew stronger and closer and how they became a a greater witness for the Lord in that. There is true satisfaction by trusting in God. I hope that you'll believe that, friends. All right, we got something going on over there. David continues to show us in verses 5 and 6, satisfaction in the treasures of God. Satisfaction in the treasures of God. You with me? This is where the rubber meets the road. Are we satisfied with what God has providing for us? Remember how I said that David had been on the run for years. That meant that David was not in the land that had been given to him. Now, this means not much to us. But imagine, when they came into the promised land, each family was divvied out a certain amount of land. That was theirs forever. All right? The well's land was going to be the well's land forever. After I passed, Jacob would get it. If, uh, you know, on and on and on it goes from there. And now David, because King Saul has kept him out, he's out of the land. He's not allowed to be on his family land. He's removed from that. He's not allowed to be there in that land that has been promised to him for perpetuity. And he says, he's able to write this, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. He sees here a constant treasure. Everything around him seemed like chaos was going on. That might be your life today. And everything around you looks like chaos. But he found treasure in God. Not in the things of the world. Or even the things given to him by God. But he found his treasure in God himself. That's a different point. Can we come to a point where our relationship with the Lord is our greatest treasure? Is that your greatest treasure? Not your grandchild, not your child. They're all wonderful. But is your greatest treasure your relationship with the Lord? And God's graciousness toward him, he also provides him not just this constant treasure, but a promised treasure. David was holding on in verse 6 to the promise that had been made to him when he was anointed king. He was trusting that God would fulfill his promise. He would not only get his family's land back, but he was going to get the entire nation. He was going to be king over the entire nation of what God had for him. He was trusting that God would fulfill this. And you may not see every relationship healed in your life. That's hard to swallow sometimes. You might not have every wrong righted every hope that you wanted in the world given to you. But God has made us promises. 
And God keeps His promises that we can hold on to. We are promised a place to be with Him for eternity. We will be with the Lord for eternity. Not just that, but we are told in the judgment time there will be ultimate justice that will occur. We might not see it in our lifetime, but as time concludes and as the great judgment will occur, ultimate judgment will happen. We are also promised that we will reign with Him for eternity. We won't just be with Him. Well, this is not this silliness that we see people on clouds with halos. None of that. That is not found in the Word of God. We will be with the Lord and we will be reigning with Him. The Lord has promised us. And David was satisfied with the treasures of God. Keep your eyes up. When the world around you is, is, feels like it's falling in, you can trust in God. And you can trust in His Word if we look up to Him and put our trust in Him. Lastly, we see this because of the satisfaction in the treatment from God. The satisfaction in the treatment from God in verses 7 through 11. When we come to Jesus Christ, He deals with us today. When you've accepted Jesus Christ, it's not just okay, and then he puts you on a shelf, and you wait till the day you die, and then you'll be up in heaven. No, 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 no. The Lord is with you now. Amen? That's a wonderful thing. In verse 7, we see that he gives us counsel in our life. I want counsel from God. The one that knows all? Yeah. I want his counsel. It's far better than anything I can think up in this little nut that I have in my head. All right? I want the counsel. You didn't have to say amen so heavy on that one. All right. Uh, Just, uh, you're welcome, brother. He counsels me. He he gives me restraint, and yet he gives me freedom. In his counsel, it gives me restraint in what I should and shouldn't be doing, but yet he gives me freedom in that. Only God's counsel can do that. He he gives me standards to live my life, and yet in that, it gives me security for my life as well. If you look around in the, the United States over the last 60 years, we have been dismantling God's counsel piece by piece by piece. And what has the result of that been? Now we have a lack of security. We have this lack of security in our mind, our hearts, in our surroundings, and in our body. We have a breakdown of community. We have a lack of peace, both inner peace and outer peace, because we're not listening to God's counsel. Verse 8, he covers me. He says, he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. This is soldier language. This is, I've got your back. When they would stand in line as soldiers, you would be on the person's right hand. And they would wield their swords together. That was, this is, I'm on the right side, and he is watching for you. He is watching over you. He's giving you counsel, and he's watching over you. And then he captivates us with joy as well in in verse 9. There should be a natural joy that comes from following the Lord's counsel and knowing that he is covering you. There should just be a joy that comes from that. And from this point on, this is a turning point in this, and we just got a few seconds left. There's a turning point now, and now we read some things that, how in the world did David know this? And David begins to prophesy by the the Holy Spirit speaking through him. 
He is now going to present some things he could not have known. But yet we see that in Isaiah. We see that in all the different prophets. And he starts to prophesy about the Lord and, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's not just dealing with us now, treating with how he's going to treat us today. Now he's going to show us how he's going to treat us tomorrow as well. And David moves from how the, the Lord treats us to how he's going to treat us in the future. At the end of verse 9, he says, My flesh shall rest in hope. Well, why? Why will my flesh, my body, why would it rest in hope? And he begins to speak about the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. He shares about his resurrection and his eventual return. Now, how do we know this? How can you take that from that verse? Well, because Peter takes those verses, and in Acts chapter 2, he elaborates on those at the day of Pentecost. And then later on, I believe it's chapter 22 of Acts, Paul takes those verses and he says the same thing. And they're explaining this, how Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. And as the sinless Savior, he is to be resurrected and he was resurrected from the dead. Let's read verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. That's David speaking about himself. Neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One, capitalized, to see corruption. David is not the Holy One, right? Who is this? Jesus. That's right. Jesus Christ. And then Peter, he expounds upon this at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 29. He says, he's speaking to the people. He's just read these verses that we read. And he says, men and brethren, let me freely, this is 2,000 years later. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. And Peter had seen the resurrected Christ. David foresaw, he foresaw that in Christ's resurrection, those placing their trust, listen, those that have placed their trust in him would also be resurrected. We sing a hymn around here called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. The lyrics are this, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong, who holds our days within his hand, what comes apart from his command, and what will keep us till the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Christians, we have the satisfaction of knowing that with Jesus Christ as our Savior, our hope is secure, both while we live and in our death through Jesus Christ. Now, friend, you might be here today, you might be watching this online, and you don't have the satisfaction of knowing Christ. Please listen. You remain in your sin at this point. 
It is to you that I say satisfaction is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. His desire is to restore you to Himself. This is the main reason that Jesus Christ came to earth. And if you die today in your sin, you will die both physically and spiritually. And you will be separated from the Lord for eternity. Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. But God the Son, Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life. He came and He gave Himself willingly to die on the cross. He took your sin upon Him. He became your substitute. He took your place. The Lord did this some 2,000 years ago, and it was the gift of God. It is the gift that God has given us, and it is like any gift, it is waiting there for you. Any gift that is given to you, you have to receive that gift. And Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and that gift has been waiting there for you your entire life. Will you receive that gift? How do we do that? As Jim prayed earlier, we receive Jesus Christ's gift of salvation by placing our faith in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says, you shall be saved. Please do that today. Not for me. For yourself. Please accept Christ as your Savior. Confess Him today. I don't know what you've tried in this life for satisfaction, but you and I both know it didn't satisfy. It might have for a month, maybe even a year, but it didn't satisfy. It didn't last. Stop the running and searching and turn to Jesus Christ today. The account is told of George, King George IV. He was a devout Christian, and prior to being, uh, becoming king, he would sneak out of the castle into the villages, and he would have a Bible study with, different, with fellow Christians around the kingdom. Uh, after becoming king, that, he was no longer able to do that. But as he was after being crowned king, he went on a trip. They, they went over to Canada, and he went to British Columbia. And while he was there, he was to meet one of the Indian chiefs of the area of British Columbia named White Feather. White Feather was a man that had, at this point, lost his homeland to the British. He had basically lost his culture as well as his land had been removed from them. A man that you would think that would be filled with little satisfaction because of that loss. But Chief Whitefeather had accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And his entire life changed. And the officials, they had asked the chief to come and to sing a song uh, for King George. And thinking that he was going to sing one of the native songs to the king, uh, to their surprise, he started singing this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain. 
or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And the king looked at him and said, I'd rather have Jesus too. As a Christian, this world is the worst it will get for us. We may have things taken from us that are rightfully ours, as David did. We may face situations that we didn't ask to occur. We may see injustice happen to friends and family. Yet in all of this, we can have true satisfaction in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because He's watching over us. He is protecting us. He has provided His people. He has provided His Word. He has given us His counsel. And most importantly, He will return for us. Our eternity is secure. If you would bow your heads at this time. Christians, I want to encourage you to pray to the Lord. Pray the Lord will continue to give you that security. And praise Him for that. Praise Him for giving the security, the guidance, and the hope He has provided to each and every one of us. For those of you that don't know Jesus Christ today, I ask you to call on Him today. Confess Him as your Savior. And He will save you. If you need help with that, we'll have counselors down here. And you can speak to one of them. Or you speak to me after the service as well. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, open our hearts to your word today. We thank you for Psalm 16. And these words of David, how he trusted in you and he was completely satisfied. We thank you for that guarantee. Please be with us today, those that are lost that would come to know you as well. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.